Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the section that is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. They are probably very familiar in our hearing. Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin in the first verse. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, speaking of Jesus. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now bow your heads with me for just a moment please. Father God this morning this is your day. And we come as your people by your grace. And we read the very words of Christ Jesus. And the blessings that he pronounced here in this great sermon. And we recognize this morning that we are lowly and unworthy. But we are so blessed. We thank you through Jesus for the truth of these words. We thank you for the gospel, which is the power of God and the salvation. We thank you this morning for this opportunity to meet with your people and to talk about the riches of the blessings of God through Jesus. Lord, help me this morning to stay faithful to the text, to deliver that that you would have, and help us this morning collectively to open our ears and our hearts to receive what you would have for us. Lord, we ask these things in the holy name of Jesus, and amen. A familiar text. Seemingly, uh, perhaps simplistic. I remember when I was pretty young, my first uh, Bible that I carried to church, I was given a bookmark and with a listing of the Beatitudes. So I've been reading across these uh, for most of my life, and probably many of you have as well. Now, here's the danger this morning. Um, well, let me start with before the danger. Here's the great thing, okay? Here's the great thing for me, at least, as being your pastor, as opposed to being an itinerant preacher who's with the people for one time and then maybe never again, or at least not for a long time. I've been taking great advantage of telling you from time to time recently that we'll come across a topic or a scripture, and I'll say, we'll get into this later. And that is a great comfort for me to be able to say that and know that we can do that later. Uh, because when you don't have that opportunity, you want to get everything in in the 20 minutes or so that people will give you to listen, and that's hard to do. 
However, this morning, we've got to get everything in. So we will be going from Genesis to Revelation in this message. I hope that you buckle up and, and uh, stay with me. But I believe perhaps the Lord will bless you and, and enlighten you to some things he did not know before, or maybe never thought in this way. But first and foremost, above everything, I want to speak about being blessed because of Jesus. So don't get too caught up in, in, in other things. This is about that. And it's very simple and it's beautiful in its simplicity. We are blessed today, God's people, because of Jesus. Now, as I read here, this is uh, Jesus going up uh, on this uh, mountain, this elevated place. And he began to teach or preach, if you prefer, about the law of God and the kingdom of God. Now, for the original audience there, the uh, Hebrew people in the first century, this would have conjured up uh, very specific pictures in their mind. And uh, for perhaps some of you, uh, it may make this connection. And if not, maybe after today it will. Uh, it would have uh, conjured up pictures or remembrances of the teaching of another man and a mountain and the law and the kingdom of God more than a thousand years prior to this event. So we have to go all the way back there. Because these people would have heard Jesus' words even as he was quoting from the law of the Old Testament. And he does in this chapter, as you continue to read on, would have pictured Moses. Those of you who have been in the young adult Sunday school class for the past uh, several weeks. Some of this may be more fresh to you. Uh, I don't know what everyone, where everyone is in their personal studies or how much you think about Moses in the Old Testament. And I know that I have uh, delivered to you before how that Moses was a type or a foreshadowing of Christ. One of the many who are in the Old Testament. Things to point us toward the coming of Christ. And even the writer of the Hebrews, it was so significant, spent some time to make sure and point out how that Christ was superior to Moses. So those who would turn back uh, to the law for their trust in their eternal salvation uh, were turning away from the greater fulfillment of Jesus, the Messiah, and were looking at only a shadow. So we know that there's a connection and perhaps this morning you'll see a little bit stronger one than maybe you did before. So... Moses, if we were to turn back to Exodus in chapter 19, as the uh, children of Israel had been led out, delivered from slavery in Egypt, miraculously so, don't forget. These people who had been uh, enslaved for hundreds of years, yet God calls Moses to go out and say the right things at the right time, and then God enacts the plagues and all that that went on, and, and then they uh, left out of Egypt greatly blessed in material wealth, as well as being rescued from that terrible situation. And God has uh, miraculously delivered them through the Red Sea and crushed their enemies before them. And God has proven faithful by this point, if you're looking in Exodus 19, uh, God has already proven faithful in that He will not leave them alone. He leads them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's people, the Lord shall not leave us. He is always there to lead us and to guide us and to protect us. God has proven himself faithful to this Old Testament uh, group of people, the children of Israel. They're not yet a nation. They're, they're come out, they're a people, but they're not yet a formal nation. And God is providing for them. He is giving them food when they had none. They just get up in the morning and it's there. Um, for kids, 
It's kind of like that now. But for adults, we know it's not that way. Uh, But God provided for these people faithfully all that they would need. And water when they had no water. All of the provisions, everything was taken care of. God had proved himself faithful. He was doing what he said he was going to do when he chose this people to be his chosen and representative people. And then we find in chapter 19 how that they had been led uh, to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And here is where the people truly begin to become a nation. Not yet in their home, so to speak, not yet in the land that God has promised and would deliver to them, but he's formalizing the relationship, if you will. Here is where we get the beginning of the giving of the law. Here is where the old covenant is made. And uh, we'll not read extensive portions of that. Uh, There are books in the Bible to do that. But I want to summarize. In Exodus chapter 19, uh, if we look in verse 5, here's basically how it goes. God says to Moses, say these words to my people. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, right? If. If you obey, if you keep. That's very important. Right? What is the response? Then? then you shall be a peculiar treasure above all people. That's what God says to his people through Moses. If you do these things, then you will gain this status. Then you will reap the benefits and the blessings and the protections. God says here in no uncertain terms, in a very conditional form. If you do these things, then you shall be my people. Now, don't get confused uh, because God was so gracious and merciful to this people who were very disobedient. In fact, uh, as has been stressed again in our Sunday school class time and time again, they don't go hardly a day. They don't go very far without messing this whole thing up. By the way, we should see that as a mirror reflection of our lives. So just because God was gracious, just because God was merciful, just because God was doing this thing for His name, for His glory, and out of His love, don't get confused. If they did not do these things, obey His voice and keep His covenant, they had no rightful claim to say we are the people of God. We are a peculiar treasure above all peoples. No right to claim that. Right? But they absolutely accepted the deal. If you look a few verses down in verse 8, again, we're summarizing. There was much more said about this, but uh, Moses, uh, God gave Moses the words and summarized, Obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure above all people. And in verse 8, all the people with one voice said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Note these things. This is... The old covenant. If you do, then you get, then you are. And the people said, all of it. We don't take issue with this part or this part. They said, all of it. Everything that the Lord has commanded, everything that He says, He says, obey my voice. We hear His voice and we say, all of it. We will do. Right? Covenant. In our modern terminology would be a contract, a treaty, and it was agreed to. 
And there was much to do. There were sacrifices and there were feasts and all that. I don't want to go into that this morning. I want to highlight and, and I want to show and summarize that this was the nature of the old covenant. There was no rightful claim upon being God's people without this perfect obedience. And they signed off on it immediately. And then almost just as immediately, what did they do? They broke it. Time and time and time and time again. But that's what the deal was. Now, also don't get confused. This was not a covenant for the salvation of their souls. They were not saved by keeping of the law. In fact, the Apostle Paul would later say, no one was ever saved by the works of the law. Indeed, they cannot be. All right? It was always about faith and repentance for the eternal salvation of the soul. But as far as God having a people and setting His blessings and protection on them, they had no claim. They had no right to enter, as it were, into the courtroom and say, but God, you must do because we are your people. Immediately, the case would be gone to, no, you did not obey my voice. No, you did not keep my covenant. It's conditional. Absolutely conditional. However, God was long-suffering. He was merciful. He was gracious. And time and time and time again, He gave them more chances and more chances and more chances. Uh, regardless, they continued uh, to, to break the commandment. Now, the psalm that, we, that I read just a few moments ago, Psalm 15, uh, highlights this and asks the questions, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And the answer is given, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness. This is just perfectly in line with what God said through Moses at Sinai. If you do these things. And the psalmist said it uh, 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 walking uprightly. What does that mean? Doing what's right. All right? And worketh righteousness. So it's all about doing. If you do these things, then you get to enjoy uh, the blessings in the, uh, of God. But that word righteousness, here's where we get perhaps a bit academic, but I think it will help you. We read the word righteousness and we probably only think of doing what is right. Most of the time. And that's certainly included there. But notice the psalmist said, walk uprightly and work righteousness. So there's something extra. When we read the word righteousness in our Bibles, we should not stop at doing what's right, but realize it often, if not always, carries the connotation or the additional meaning of being legally Innocent. If I am righteous by the uh, Bible's standards or by the, the description of what the Bible speaks of when we read across this word righteous, if I am righteous, then according to God's law, I am innocent. What did we just get done saying about the people, the very people who said, all that the Lord has said we will do? Were any of them righteous by that definition? No. They continued to break the covenant. They continued to break the law of God, as do we. The condemnation does not get less. It continues to build. If we turn over to Micah, <clears throat> Micah in chapter 6, one of the last uh, prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, Micah the prophet uh, says, Hear now that the Lord saith, Arise and contend thou before the mountains. What is he saying? Plead your case. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here in legal language because that word righteousness demands it. The prophet Micah says, plead your case before all of creation, before the mountains. 
He says here the indictment of the Lord against his people. This is often what the prophets of the Old Testament were doing. If you read them, they were bringing, uh, in a sense, a case, uh, if you want to think of it in legal terms, against the people of God. They were not obeying the voice of God and they were not keeping the covenant. Micah uh, summarizes here in, in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, so what does the Lord require? And he does not list all the many requirements. And we've been, again, going into great detail about uh, which sacrifices to give and who owes what. And there are a great many details. There's a great deal of minutia in the Old Testament. But he summarizes. He says, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So even when we're talking about the Old Testament, it's just not... Uh, it's not just about remembering all these different details. It's about the heart. The problem is, was for them and is for us today, we can't do that. Do you see the case that the Bible is building even against us? It condemns us in the same way as we look through this. We're supposed to do justly, but because we are born sinful, because our, our very natures are corrupt to the core, we, we see justice as some perverted sense that's going to give me on top. Without God's grace, that's the way we are. We're bent in toward ourself. We're so selfish and self-idolizing, we exalt ourselves as gods in our own minds. Now, we may not use that language but what do we say? That's not fair. And what do we mean when we say that? It hurts me or I didn't get the best. Micah summarized the law. He said we need to do justly. But fallen and depraved men don't seek justice. They seek their own benefit and for those around them. And that's exactly what we do today by our nature. Secondly, he says love mercy. We don't want to love mercy. We want to love mine. We don't want to have mercy upon others by nature. Outside the grace of God, all of us will always choose for ourselves. Now you say... Uh, but I take care of my kids and I'm a loving person. Thank God for His grace. But you do see, if we're honest, if we look just a bit at our own motivations and the way that we think and the way that it happens when we get in conflict with our friends and our co-workers, do we love mercy? I think not all the time we do. And so when we don't, what do we become? Breakers of the covenant and law of God. Lastly, he says, walk humbly with God. And I have said, because of our depravity, we exalt who? Who is number one? Well, the phrase number one in our society only has one real meaning, and that means me. Right? Take care of who? Number one. What do we mean? Self. We exalt self. We do not want to walk humbly before God. We do not want to by our nature... Recognize God for who He is and recognize who we are in relation to Him. That's not a comfortable subject. Isaiah the prophet, what did he say? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. We do not want to walk humbly before God. We are in fact guilty of, uh, you might say, the same sin that Satan was wanting to exalt ourselves above God. We want our way. We still struggle with that. 
Even years after salvation, even though God has given us uh, time and time again victories over sin and He's conforming us more and more to the image of Christ, church family, as we go through that path, some of these things get better, perhaps get easier. But we all admit, if we look at this and and the, the standard is do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God, we all at some points and in some ways still struggle with that. So we go back to what's the case. If we do, then we could be. Could we ever ever live up to that? No. Not a one of us. They couldn't. We couldn't. You know, it, it, it seems an interesting thing uh, today that people will talk about uh, how that mankind has become so advanced over what we used to be. And in technology, we would probably all agree. But so many want to say, we've become such a better people. Really? I see the same base motivations in our society. And we're supposed to be, uh, you know, we, we tout ourselves as, as this is the cream of the crop. And we live in such blessed conditions here. We do. But don't think that that's because we as a people have become such a great people. People have always been the same as they are. People are sinful. I say, let me back that up. People have not always been the same as they are. The first man and woman were created in holiness. But since the fall, we've all suffered from this. So that's the Old Testament, right? That's that's, uh, the righteousness that they could never attain. That's the righteousness that we could never attain. So uh, we don't want to look at the Old Testament. We want to look at the New Testament. Right? That's, that's the picture that sometimes also is given that I want to dispel. That there was an angry and harsh God of the Old Testament, but a loving, kindly, and merciful one of the New Testament. No, no. Same God. So let's look then to the New Testament. We, we've already been talking about Moses. We've talked about things that have happened since uh, the beginning of time. Let's turn to our text. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus and His uh, opening sermon, if you will. Uh, the great Sermon on the Mount. Let's notice some things, uh, some differences from the Old Testament to the New. Well, let's skip down to verse 20 for just a moment. Jesus says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness, there's that word again, right? Innocence. Except your righteousness, covenant keeping, shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this is much easier then. No. Jesus does not do away with the Old Testament. He quotes from it. He does not uh, abolish the law. He fulfills it. And He in no wise lowers the standard. In fact, He raises it. So now, not only is it about your uh, participation, your obedience outwardly, and then it's about the matter of the heart, but now Jesus says, you must do that righteousness, be faithful, be obedient, better than the people who are experts at following it. Think of the most righteous and holy people. You've got to be better than them. That doesn't sound like good news. That doesn't sound like gospel. Let's continue reading and see how this all works out. Jesus uh, quotes in, in pairings of verses 21 and 22, uh, 27 and 28, 31 and 32. 
He says, you have heard that it was said, so he's quoting from the Old Covenant, right? Uh, the first one, verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Jesus is, again, not lowering the standard, but raising it up. All these external things must be looked at internally. The law pointed to more than just an external obedience, but to the heart. The law could not change the heart, but it pointed toward these things. Jesus said it's not enough to say I've never killed anyone. If we harbor anger and hatred in our heart, it is murder in our heart. He says the same thing about adultery. I've never gone out and done these actions. Jesus said, if you have looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed the adultery in your heart. So again, we're seeing Jesus raising the bar, if anything, never lowering it. This is not good news for us so far. We began in the old and we said they couldn't keep it and we couldn't keep it and it seems since then we just escalate and escalate and escalate and if we are in the courtroom of God this morning then the case is building and building and building against us and all the evidence is true that we are guilty. We have not obeyed His voice. We have not kept His covenant. We have broken God's law every one of us. How is that gospel? How is that good news? Let's go back to the beginning where we began reading. Moses began on the mountain and he said, If you do, then you will be. You will get blessings. Jesus began not by saying, If you do. Look at what he says. Not cursed, not required, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they are devoid and bankrupt in morality. Blessed are you. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is yours. Do you see that? Moses began, this is what you must do. Jesus began saying to the people of the kingdom, you are blessed because you have been gifted. You have been given the kingdom, not because you have earned it. We never could, but it is a gift to you. And it continues on. Blessed are they that mourn. We were just talking about how many deaths recently, how many things are overcoming the families and loved ones of, of just our church. And that's the same everywhere else. How in the world could you say we're blessed, Jesus, because this temporal uh, suffering and mourning will be replaced by what? They shall be comforted eternally. Later, the apostles would speak of the temporary nature of the suffering in this life and they were being tortured and they said it's not worthy to be compared with the glory of what is to come. Blessed are they that mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are they that are meek, gentle, those who would not put up a fight, those who are not going about warring and trying to conquer. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. My question for you this morning, or a question for you this morning, are you a child of God? Have you ever sought the Lord and He did not provide? Have you ever seen 
Now let me back up. I'm not going to ask the question, I'm going to say it. There has never been a person who truly sought after the Lord who was turned away. Everyone who seeks Him will find Him. That doesn't mean everybody that bows, everybody that says a word, but everybody who seeks the Lord will find Him. He will turn none away. In every instance, as we read down through this, Jesus just flips that on its head. It's not about if you do, then you will get, but Jesus rather says it has been given, it has been gifted to you. Well, let's tie it together then. How can Jesus on the one hand say it's gifted and it's not about what you do, but then on the other hand say your righteousness, your obedience must exceed that of the most obedient? God has never ceased demanding obedience. Here's the gospel. Jesus did it in our place. Do you see the beauty of that? Jesus lived a full life of perfect obedience and covenant-keeping righteousness and then went to the cross and died in a substitutionary way for us because we could not, and as a matter of fact, we did not. We are guilty. We are covenant breakers. But praise God because of the perfect obedience and righteousness of Jesus God looks at us legally, forensically, if you want to use the technical term, as not guilty, innocent before God. That's what it means to be justified. Everything about the old was fulfilled and superseded and much better in the new. The new covenant does not say if you do. Child of God, obedience is important. Our loyalty to God, our working out of our salvation, as the, the apostle would later say, it's important, it is for blessing, it is the way that God molds us into the image of Christ, and it honors our Lord God, but our works are not to merit favor with God. It is freely given. It's not if you do. It's for all who have trusted in Christ. You are blessed because of Jesus. I beg you, this afternoon, this week, sometime, read through the Beatitudes and think about how blessed you are because of Jesus and how grateful we are that it is not an if-then, but He has done. Bow your heads with me, please. Father God, this morning, Lord, we just rejoice and we exult in this grace. We rejoice in the gospel and it is such a precious and a glorious thing that all the, the working, the lifting, so to speak, all that needed to be done, you have accomplished for us. And you have secured our salvation and secured our blessings and our giftings through the sacrifice of Jesus. It was purchased for us. So that now we can read the gospel, and it is gospel, it is good news to us, because it is not dependent upon our obedience. Lord, we just see the blessings that you have given us, and when we look into those blessings and see the glory, Father God, I believe we are changed, and we are loyal, and we are loving, and we worship you out of thankfulness. God, we thank you for that gift this morning. We pray if there are any among us who today you are drawing to salvation, Lord, that you will bring them to a place of repentance and faith, that they may be blessed in the way that we have been and know that it is all.
because of Jesus. Lord, in His holy name we pray, and amen. Let us have a song. Let us stand and sing praises to our all-sufficient and glorious Savior. Let us be blessed because of Jesus. 124, bottom of the page, 124.